0: Good morning. Can you hear me? I've been uh, trying to keep my distance. Alicia and I had a great time on our trip we just took but I brought back a cold and I'm trying not to share it. Uh, So I'm gonna croak through my sermon today. Uh, But before we jump into that, um, I would like to ask the elders help. Uh, I want to pray over Roy and the Gotsman family at this time. If you guys would go lay hands on Roy. And uh, anyone else, I would invite you who wants to pray for that family. If you don't know what the family means to this church and what they've done, uh, the situation, we know that uh, Darlene has been suffering from some the aftermath of some strokes. She, uh, at this time, is not taking food and she's on morphine for pain. And she does not have long left in this world. Uh, And so I just want to pray the peace of God, the help of God, the love of God uh, over the Gotsman family at this time. Will you join me in prayer? Lord, we love this family. And we thank you for uh, the good works that they've done that glorify you and make you look wonderful and good, Lord. And I just pray your special help for Roy and the whole family in these days coming. I pray that Darlene, when she passes, she passes in peace and gently. And Lord, uh, I thank you for their faith and they're going to need your help in days coming. And I pray that uh, they receive all the love and help that they need from this church and from you. So Lord, we give this situation to you at this time, asking for uh, everything that you alone can do that we cannot do ourselves. Bless and keep this family who we love. Be with Darlene in this hour. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. We are continuing uh, with one last sermon on stories of Jesus from Luke's gospel. Uh, two weeks ago, uh, I was preaching, we were looking at different verses in Luke about power and the way that power works, and we traced power language through the gospel, which shows a progression uh, of of power being with Jesus, uh, Jesus who is full of a, the Holy Spirit, and eventually this power is spread uh, to other disciples as well, first the twelve, then seventy-two, And then other people, we find, are being filled with the power of God and the Holy Spirit. So by way of reminder, I want to look at some of these verses again, real briefly. I'm not going to read them all, but just to remind you. So Jesus, in Luke chapter 4, he begins his ministry full of the Holy Spirit. And he is even led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where he gets stronger. And then he returns from the temptations in the wilderness in the power of the Spirit, And then he's doing these acts of power, and people begin to recognize something special going on. Uh, Luke chapter 4, with authority and power, he gives orders to evil spirits, and they come out. And then... uh, the people who are sick, they're coming. He's getting this reputation. They know that power and authority is with this man. And so they said uh, in Luke chapter 6, because power was coming from him and healing them all. So they're bringing sick people to uh, touch this source of power, the power of God that's in Jesus Christ. Well, Jesus calls at first the 12 together, and he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So they went out uh, from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. And then in chapter 10, this group of 12 is expanded. Then it's suddenly 72. And the 72, they return, and they say, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Ordinary, everyday people in faith trust God and come into contact with the power of the kingdom of God. And then at the end of Luke's gospel, he says, uh, stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. And then in Acts chapter 1, it says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And this is all building up to the day of Pentecost and uh, the events that followed and uh, the transformation of the Lord's church being clothed and girded with the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, how do we come into contact with kingdom power to affect the change that we need in our life circumstances. Have you discovered these secrets yet of accessing the power of the kingdom in your life? Well, I gave you certain addresses to consider. Places where I would say if you spend some time searching for power, the power of God in these places, you will discover the truth of these words that I say in the journey that you undertake. And some of those addresses are are as follows. Humility. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the... We find power in God's word. If you spend time saturating your mind with the scriptures, whatever is pure, whatever is true, whatever is right, lovely, good, admirable, think about such things. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. If you put the scriptures in your mind and in your heart, you will know something about the power of the kingdom, and you will have access to power when you need it. Uh, The Holy Spirit at work in our lives. The gift of the Holy Spirit. That The Holy Spirit is hes power for us, but it's also through a relationship with the Holy Spirit. The power of transformation. The power of connecting us to the life of God himself. uh, The power that comes through prayer. But uh, primarily what I want to talk about this morning is the way we access God's power through faith. It's through faith that we access God's power. So there's two more stories from Luke's Gospel I want to look at this morning. And the first one is about the kind of faith that makes the power of God flow into our lives. And then we'll end with a parable familiar to all of us, I think, the parable of the Good Samaritan. The parable of the Good Samaritan is a teaching on the responsibility of power. You may not feel like you have all the power to cure sickness and disease, but what are you doing with the power that you do have? All of us have the power and potential to do good. Are you trusting and stepping out in faith to do good for the sake of the Lord? So we'll begin in Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 40. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then came a man named Jairus, the a teacher in the synagogue, and he came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl of about twelve, Was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. It's interesting that this little girl is 12 years old who's laying there dying, which is the same amount of time, her life, that this other woman had been suffering with this flow of blood. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. And immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, "Uh, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. What is different about the way that this woman touched Jesus versus the rest of the crowd? Well, there are touches, and there are touches. All kinds of people were touching Jesus in this time. But they weren't touching Jesus like this woman was touching Jesus. Something about this woman's touch, it made power flow. Dunamis, strength, ability. Something about her touch made the power of the kingdom of God flow. And it gave her healing. I think about this in our time. I think about, and this is going to be sound harsh to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. There are all kinds of Christians crowding around Jesus, but they are not touching him. Not like this woman. Our churches are filled with good people. Thinking about good things living good lives, making responsible choices. People who look like they have it all together and there's not a hair out of place and they're all crowding around Jesus, but they aren't touching him. Not like this woman was touching him. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. She came trembling. She put her full Shameful story out there to Jesus and a crowd of people. Probably a lot of people in that crowd were complete strangers to her. And she bears her shameful story. Why, why shameful? What did the Jewish Torah or the law say about a woman who had a flow of blood? About the cleanliness codes that they had? When when was a woman clean or unclean? When was a man clean or unclean? How long had this woman been unclean for? Twelve years. Twelve years. It was a shameful thing that she was undergoing. But in that moment, her need for healing was greater than the shame of her story. Has your need for healing ever been greater than your need to keep your own secrets, your dirty little secrets? Have you ever been so desperate for the healing of God that you're not even trying to keep your own shameful story secrets anymore? But suddenly all your secrets, they take a back seat as you're just seeking the Lord in desperation. Grasping for the power that you need in the circumstances of your life. Well, Jesus recognizes the actions of this woman for what they are. Her actions displayed great faith. Great faith. And I think this woman acted in faith not once, but twice. The first time was to just reach out just to touch the hem of his garment and the second time to fall at the feet of her savior confessing all publicly owning her own shameful story well Jesus says this daughter your faith has healed you. Go in peace. What is it they healed her, he says. Something about this woman's faith made the power of God flow into her life circumstances and change her reality. Well, the story goes on. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. While there was life, there was hope. But now the worst has come to pass. It's too late. Let him go his way. He was delayed long enough that it's gotten to a point where it doesn't matter anymore. Don't bother Jesus. Has God ever shown up too late in your life? Or have you ever had a time when you felt like, God, he didn't show up at all? Not when I needed him. Well, When this news comes, Jesus says something. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, Don't be afraid. Just believe and she will be healed. Afraid how? How is fear a part of this? The fear of our thoughts. This is a kind of fear that gives up on faith because there's nothing left to be done the worst has already happened we can't do anything else Jesus says don't be afraid don't be afraid just believe what, did, what is Jesus doing here he is inviting Jairus to have faith in God even when the circumstances seem hopeless your faith can be a strength for you even when your circumstances are hopeless and I would like to say that is the kind of faith you and I need at work in our lives when he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her and stop wailing, Jesus said. She's not dead, but asleep. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. Laughing at Jesus. Why does Jesus only let certain people go in with him? why only these certain handful of people to be eyewitnesses to what he was about to do? I think he he was pushing unbelief out of the room. As surely as faith makes the power of God flow, a lack of faith will shut the power of God off. Unfaith removes us from power. Interesting. Uh, it's talking about a prophet in his own hometown who was without honor. And just a little aside, in Mark's gospel it said, he could not do any miracles there except the lay, to lay his hands on a few sick people and to heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. Their lack of faith was so amazing. He is waiting there to do miracles. But that lack of faith was shutting down the power of God. What happens next in Luke's gospel? It says he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. And her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. And then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell any, anyone what was happening. Why does he not sound the trumpet? Could it be that Jesus is looking for the kind of faith that comes to him desperate for the power of God. Rather than the kind of faith that is sitting back with arms folded saying, show me something amazing, and then I'll believe. Impress me, and then I will follow you. Do something spectacular, and then you can have my heart forever. I get a chill just saying that because I think that's the way I treat my Savior sometimes. Unfaith can move us away from power. But we gain access to the power of God through faith. It's not magic. It's a relationship. Faith is trust. When we need it most, if we trust in Jesus, if we trust in him, despite our circumstances being horrible, despite the fact that the worst has already happened, can we accept Jesus' word? Don't be afraid, just believe. And I think if you continue to walk in that kind of faith, you're going to come in contact with the power of the kingdom of God. We're at our second story this morning from Luke. The parable of the Good Samaritan. This is a story about the responsibility of power. The question this asks is, what are you going to do with the power that you do have? You see, we read these stories about Jesus, and they're, they're fantastic. The laying of hands on the sick and healing them, driving out demons, things like that, is, is a couple steps removed from the reality of where many Christians live. Um, and we don't, that doesn't feel accessible to us. It doesn't feel real to us. But this question asks... What are you doing with the power that you do have? Are you an ambassador for good in this world? What are you doing to glorify your Lord and Savior? Maybe you just have a small voice. Maybe you have small resources. Maybe just a small amount of time. Are you doing anything at all? On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, Jesus replied. How do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think, was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Well, it was interesting, reading this story of the Good Samaritan, I came across a a sermon illustration that just fit with this perfectly. It was the story of the Good Samaritan in a lot of ways. And uh, it's something that's really rocked the mountaineering world. You know that we have different cultures of people. Weightlifters could be its own subculture. Runners could be its own subculture. People who go hiking and climbing mountains. It's its own kind of culture. And uh, this just happened this, this summer. Death on the Savage Mountain, what really happened on K2. K2 is second highest mountain in the world, the, by far the most difficult to climb. And on July 27th, more than 150 people were trying to summit K2 that day. As a man lie dying in their path, footage from the mountain would later shock the world when it showed climbers walking past a dying man. Some had waited for months for this chance, this small window of opportunity to ascend to the summit of K2. They had a small window. Winds had finally calmed down on the morning of July 26, giving the teams there on that mountain their first chance to summit K2 is called the King of Mountains in the Pakistani-administered area of Kashmir. They said that the storm was about to hit on the 28th, as, as they were told, so they had this one window, this one little shot. It was either now or next year to ascend to the summit. And by the end of that summit window, at least 102 people had conquered K2 all paying climbers, and they would descend the mountain safely and regroup at base camp. But Mohammed Hassan, a 27 year old Pakistani porter tasked with carrying equipment, did not make it down the mountain safely. Speculation churned as people argued whether. A man more than 8,000 meters above sea level could have been saved from the mountain of mountains, or whether greed for glory had blinded more than a hundred climbers who left Muhammad stranded on the ice. K2 is called the savage mountain, and K2 is no Mount Everest, or rather Mount Everest is no K2. The saying is this, if you want bragging rights in the mountaineering world, if you want bragging rights, you climb Mount Everest. But if you want respect, you climb K2. K2 is significantly more difficult and technical to summit than the earth's tallest mountain, Mount Everest. Mount Everest, for example, has about a 3% death rate while K2, before 2021, had a 25% death rate of people attempting to summit that mountain. Well, most teams believed that July 27th was the last day of that window to summit. And with almost every climber thinking they had this one shot, summit hopefuls were flooding the trails to get up to the final ascent of this mountain. Well, they came to this area called the Traverse, and this is a section that's about uh, 50 to 100 meters across at a 70 degree de- uh, incline there, or it was that steep. And that section, the Traverse, is roughly two hours from the summit, and so that is where uh, this porter, Mohammed, fell and it's extremely difficult section. It's a balancing act. Uh, just walking between, uh, walking this line between the, the sheer wall of snow and this 70% or 70% 70, 70 degree incline. Sorry, not percent. Well, no one was sure why he ended up falling. You can see something of the steepness of it better in this picture, I think. Altitude sickness may be played a part, or a pulmonary cerebral edema, where fluid at this elevation begins to fill the lungs and the brain. He was ill-equipped for the climbing at these heights, but this poor Pakistani porter, for the opportunity of earning $20 a day, it apparently was worth the risk to him. So he wasn't wearing the appropriate down suit, a vital piece of equipment and you simply do not climb K2 without one. But somehow he was approved to do this, exactly that, without it. They didn't have, he didn't have a regulator or mask where that helps you uh, supply oxygen to you at these extreme heights. He didn't know if he had lost it earlier or he had sold it for money for his family. There wasn't any sign of oxygen there for him to use, and he didn't even have gloves at the time, someone said. Well, as veteran climbers hauled Mohammed uh, from the slope, uh, a porter, the porter uh, was at least partially lucid and cried out to people, and he was clearly not in good shape. And they gave him oxygen and they tried to calm him down, warm him up as best they could. But this was happening, the ascent, they start, you start climbing in the night sometimes so that you can hit the ascent with the, with the sunrise and the final summit. And so all these 150 people are going up this mountain to a place called the bottleneck. And they were being held up uh, by this porter who had fallen and they were stuck in this bottleneck and no one would have guessed that minutes later an avalanche would come. So just to see where this bottleneck is. There's this giant sheet shelf of ice called the Great Serac, and they had to make their way up this little bottleneck. And as this, if there are constantly avalanches in this area. If those avalanches get funneled into this bottleneck, You lose your ropes, your fasteners, it just sweeps people away off the mountain. And so all of these people who are there, they're crowding in this little bottleneck area. They know that this is a precarious and dangerous situation. Well, at this point, about a third of the climbers uh, recognize how dangerous this was. And so they give up on their summit attempt, and they head back down the mountain. But for those who remained, they realized just how difficult and dangerous a rescue would be to try to uh, bring a man down from the mountain at these heights. And what happened in the next moments uh, shocked the mountaineering world. Eventually, they were able to get him from down here, here he is down here, back up onto the path here. They gave him oxygen, they tried to warm him up. But then people, knowing that this was their last shot to summit that mountain, they left him to the care of others, whatever, and they went on their way to try to climb to the top. Well, some Austrian mountaineers who had turned back at the shoulder and were on their way down, they sent a drone up and they recorded footage of what was happening next. And the next day at base camp, when they downloaded the images, they were horrified to see dozens of climbers, one by one, walking past Muhammad on the path, literally stepping over this dying man. later conversations that took place at base camp, some climbers were traumatized by this event, just going along with the flow, because as they were stepping over him, uh, he was literally reaching out to them and groaning in agony as they walked past him. Well, A couple hours after stepping over the dying porter, Uh, several expeditions walked past him and made their way up to the final ascent to climb and summit K2. And then they began to hold celebration parties on the top of the mountain. Although five climbers said the overall mood was rather tepid having to step over a dying man to come to that place. But those who made it to the top They lit off fireworks to celebrate their achievement. Social media posts referred to the people who had summited as brave heroes. But it didn't take long for the fuller story to come out. A guy died, and those people who are partying now, they were stepping over him to reach the summit. And now they're celebrating their success. You cannot be serious. But when I read that real-life story, that real-life drama that really happened on K2 this summer, I read that article and I immediately thought of this parable of the Good Samaritan. It's a parable of people who are passing by a person in need, pretending not to see them, too busy with important tasks to be distracted by someone else's drama. And as easy as it would be that I could point a finger at those climbers for stepping over a dying man, I realize that more often than not, I'm not like the Samaritan. I'm like the one who steps over desperate people. Think about all of the spiritual oppression that there is around us in this Eugene Springfield area. Are there messy lives in here, in this bottom of the Willamette Valley? Is there not an addiction crisis, a homelessness crisis, broken family crisis, not even knowing our own identity crisis, not even recognizing our own value is being made in the image of God? How many people are there around Eugene and Springfield here, who are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd? You know, maybe, maybe I can't be Jesus to everyone. But am I bringing anyone to Jesus? Am I pointing anyone in his direction? I just think, you know, I look at the mess of people's lives and I judge. I cannot do anything for this person. They're too in love with their sin issue, with their meth life, or their addiction issues. They don't even care and they're not even asking the right questions. What can I do to help a person like that, really? And I let myself off the hook. Because who has time for that level of drama in their lives? Jesus Christ does, apparently. And one of the ways that we get people in touch with Jesus it's by, by being a faithful witness to him, but it's also what we do together as a church community. Because we can do more together than we can apart. It's not just me. It's not just the elders. It's not just our Sunday school teachers. It's not just our potluck committee all of us together, we have been given a charge and a responsibility. And no, maybe we cannot save everyone, but can we save some? Some of those who are suffering in our midst? See, I think the issue that we're facing as a church today Some would describe it maybe as a crisis of power. If we could just heal people, drive out the demons, if we just had that kind of knowledge. I don't think the crisis we're facing is a crisis of power. I think the crisis we are facing is a crisis of faith. Do we even have faith to use the power that we do have? to step into those messy lives and messy situations where we're not sure the outcome, but I know it's going to be inconvenient. And I know it's going to cost me. It takes a level of faith to enter into people's messy lives and drama. And there, know you're going to find the Lord's help and find the Lord in those messy circumstances. So I can't point a finger of blame to those people that climbed K2, literally stepping over a dying man. But I think I have work to do. We have a charge to uphold as a church. Rob, you can come up. That's the sermon. And I think we're getting healthier I listen, I'm sick, and I'm trying to do my best to stay away from everyone, not spread my yucky, but I just sat there praying and listening, and the conversations and the laughter and the joy at being together, it was like music to my ears, and it became like this roar that Rob has to calm down just to get us going to all be in worship together. We enjoy being a church in fellowship. We get to be in fellowship today at the potluck. I even wore my hot dog shirt for you, everyone. And I think, I think the Lord is getting us healthier so that we can grow in our faith and become a light in this community to a degree I don't know where it ends. I only know that we need to take some beginning steps. And I think the Lord will show us what those need to be. Because when I think about the power that I need in my life, I think about that desperate woman just for the chance of grabbing the hem of his garment That is the kind of faith that we need. That's the faith I need in my life. And I think the Lord will get us there. You know, whatever your needs are this morning, uh, to put the Lord on in baptism, uh, for the prayers of this church, we always open that up and give people an opportunity to respond. And uh, if you have need of some kind that I can help you with, I'll be up front here. And uh, you can come talk to me and I'll try not to cough on you. Let's go ahead and uh, stand and sing together.